Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Dave, let's get right to it. All right. We just hit the one-year mark for President Biden swearing in. And I personally like to call him Hyden Biden because he's held fewer news conferences than any of his five immediate predecessors at the same mile marker. Uh, he's only given 22 media interviews so far. And the Committee to Protect Journalists, last week they released a report that they condemned Joe Biden's limited availability to journalists. The administration's slow responses to requests for information, its planned extradition of Julian Assange, and restrictions on media access at the southern border, and its limited assistance to Afghan journalists. Now, I know he had this big, long press conference, but he didn't really address much of substance, and he just kept putting his foot in the mouth uh, in that. So I think that's probably why they don't let him have access. But he promised us the most transparent administration. Do you think he's actually going to change anything? Well, I have to say, you know, it's always interesting because you compare and contrast it to the last administration, whereas uh, the president himself was always very accessible. But when it came to getting anything, you know, they were classic for stonewalling and uh, anytime information that might be not completely flattering or slightly incriminating or whatever, it was never revealed. But to answer your question, yes, it does concern me. I think transparency is a very important part of our democracy and a very important part of our political system. And I think I think some of it is Biden's fault and some of it is not. I think that during the COVID campaign, uh, they didn't plan on hiding out in the basement, but they found out it to be an effective strategy because they realized that Trump would beat himself, which he did, as I told you. I think even with COVID, President Trump could have been reelected, but it was his erratic behavior that did him in more than anything. And so, you know, if someone's going to just dig in their own grave, let them dig away, right? One of the oldest rules. So I think that was the first part of it. Then the second part of it when when he got in was that he's just not a very telegenic, charismatic guy. And as we know, he's not the most high energy guy either. So he's not like a Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or someone uh, who can go out there and really sell his programs and be charismatic and press the flesh and do what needs to be done. So I think that's part of it. And then I think also recently things have been going tough. And when things going tough get tough, uh, presidents tend to hide out. They don't want to see the media. The press can can be their friend, but even Democratic presidents uh, go through periods where they hate the media. So I think it's uh, I think it's uh, it's a combination of things. But certainly there should be more transparency. There's no question. What are your thoughts? Well, we agree on that. Yeah, the transparency so, piece of it. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's I think it's I think it's a very it's you know, it, it's an important thing. And I think, you know, as, as is usual, a lot of Biden's problems are uh, self-inflicted. Uh, there's absolutely no no question. And I think uh, it's the inability to control the Democratic Party. You've heard me say this many times. It's like herding cats. Uh, they got a formula right in 2018, which they abandoned in 2020. And I see no signs that they're getting their act together because right now the Republican Party, uh, particularly that spineless, immoral, dim-witted majority leader of the House who's enabling Trump, I just don't think they can be trusted to run to run the government. Well, here's my question uh, for you, which is very important, is that, you know, a, a well-known former president was asked to talk about what Republicans should do if they retake Congress, and he couldn't come up with an answer. And I haven't heard any Republican talk about what they can do, just like I haven't heard any Republican talk about anything that's been proposed or anything that that they want to do. So my question for you is, other than the generalities of, well, you know, lower crime, more secure borders, less crime, lower taxes, all this stuff, 
What specific policies would you like to see the Republicans implement? What do they really stand for? What should Kevin McCarthy try to bring to the floor uh, if he becomes speaker next year? Yeah, no, I, I think Republicans and if if uh, they win the Senate as well, they have a lot of opportunities to pressure Biden to veto things that would be really popular. So some examples include the Electoral Count Act, just to clarify, to say this is just a ceremonial role. The vice president cannot actually overturn the democratically elected results, even if you disagree with how that process happens. If it's certified, it was challenged in the courts, as happened in 2020. The vice president cannot uh, count something that isn't there. So clarifying it, I think that would be a great piece of legislation. Uh, I think a balanced budget amendment. I think bills to punish China for COVID, for allowing it to spread, for creating this. Uh, I think a bill to censure Tony Fauci for lying about uh, the origins of COVID and the money that we spent, U.S. tax dollars for gain-of-function research to really dig into understanding that. I think reinstating the Nord Stream 2 sanctions on the, the, the gas pipeline against Russia would be excellent. And it's something that Biden has reluctantly, uh, you know, push back against Congress because Congress has tried to put these sanctions back, but Biden keeps saying no. And so I think to have majorities in both houses to make Biden do this would be excellent. I think also another bill to pressure Germany on the same front because the Germans, they're just weak and they're being cowardly on this front and they're going to empower Putin and line his pockets. So some sort of bill to pressure Germany, I think would be great. Um, and then also something to help the Afghan uh, translators. Uh, I, it's not a popular topic to discuss. And I was really saddened and, and frankly disgusted by Joe Biden's response. He said, I apologize for nothing about his Afghan pullout. And I work with my brother's a, a captain in the U.S. Army, and we work with a lot of these translators and family members who are still stuck there and they're lives are at risk by the Taliban. So I would, uh, and Biden has turned his back on them, not to mention the U.S. citizens who are still stuck there. Um, I've been trying to work with the State Department, it's crickets. Um, so there's that. And then on the border, I think that the, uh, you know, specifically on the border, so yes, not to be generality about strong border, but to specifically target human trafficking and also uh, fentanyl. I mean, we've had record opioid overdoses. People are isolated. They're turning to drugs here during COVID with the lockdowns. And so we've got to do something because and a lot of this is coming over. Synthetic opioids are coming over from China. And that, again, uh, we've got to focus on that specifically, I think. Well, I, you, you, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll just say a couple of things. First of all, balanced budget amendment is a terrible idea for several reasons. First of all, Congress could balance the budget anytime it wanted. That's Congress's job. They're simply punting. They're too chicken to do their job. And if you had a balanced budget amendment, if we were in a recession and you had a balance and you had to balance the budget and we couldn't spend to help get us out, it would actually put us into a depression. Now, I agree with you on immigration. To me, one of the biggest no-brainers is you have increased border security in exchange for amnesty for the dreamers. These are kids that came here uh, not of their own doing. This is the only country they've known. They're really great contributors to society. That's a no-brainer. As far as China, I think that's one area where Biden has actually uh, continued the bad. He's continued the Trump taxes on working people, which are those tariffs. Those should be lifted. That uh, It goes against, you know, Democrats have always been sketchy on free trade, but one of the great crimes of Trump was and populism was the abandonment of free trade, which is a huge Republican principle. But those are ideas. But in terms of policies, it would be nice to see the Republican Party actually 
say that they stand for something other than obstruction and, and internalizing the big lie, and also to come up with some actual policy ideas or come up with some counter proposals. You know, that's the way Congress used to work. But anyway, so fire away. What's your next one? All right. So this is a, a sensitive topic, and it's something that even the reporter from Newsmax at the press conference said it was a sensitive topic. But he brought up a poll from Politico working with Morning Consul, and it found that 49% of voters disagreed with the statement that Biden is mentally fit. Why do you think this figure is so high? Because we're not just talking about the GOP base. And it to me, it just really seems that the Biden of today is not the Biden of yesterday. And even in that press conference, he put his foot in his mouth. He said, you know, a minor incursion wouldn't be that big of a deal into Ukraine. And then he also threatened uh, or he had cast, uh, you know, doubt on the electoral process as well. So um, why do you think so many people are concerned about his mental state and how should we think about it? Well, I think it, I don't think that he's senile. I just think he's old. And I think, again, you, we seem to be getting presidents that are older and older. And, uh, you know, the previous president certainly had his uh, share of misstatements and everything, but he never, and even people like Bernie Sanders, they may be older, but they don't come across as tired. And that's what Biden does. He comes across as tired. And, you know, you bring up a good point because if we really had if again, if he were a strong president, if he were a vigorous president, he could go out and do what a president does best, use the bully pulpit to sell his programs and to get people enthused about what he's doing. And it's just very hard for him to do that. He says he's, he's going to do it. He's going to go out and do it. But the problem is he's just not that good of a communicator, you know, and this is a problem that other presidents like George W. Bush and Trump have had. Obviously, Obama, Reagan, Clinton, they were very good communicators, so they could go out and really sell their programs and sometimes go above, particularly Clinton and Reagan, go above the media or above Congress and go directly to the American people. And that's where presidents really can have, can be impactful. So I think part of it is just is fatigue and part of it is the fact that he's just not a strong communicator. Um, yeah, so, we, we're in agreement on that. Yeah, so my question for you is, you know, you have uh, maintained that uh, President Trump never intended to leave, that despite all this stuff about you know contested elections and everything, it was just a game, but he always planned to leave on January 20th, 2021. And I've never agreed with that, but with all the stuff that's coming out now, when you see how conscientious the effort was to overturn the election, and even those fake electors in these states, you know, there've been five states, the five states that were contested, Michigan, Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin, they had the, they actually submitted fake electors. And of course, that was encouraged by the Trump administration. So are you now willing to concede, yes, he did, he did want to overturn the election and he did want to stay in power? Well, I think what, what I've tried to say to clarify is that he had no intention of forcibly staying in office. He had no intention of getting a military coup. He had no intention of, uh, you know, breaking the rules. What he was trying to do, like he said, the day he left office was that I left everything on the field. You know, and I think that was his intention was to leave nothing on the field. And from his perspective, and there were even two law professors, I believe from Berkeley University. Um, I know one of them and uh, they wrote separately. And then after it came out, I was trying to get them on my talk show and, and they went crickets. Um, but before it all happened, before the election, actually, they wrote an analysis where they said, theoretically, the vice president 
might be able to have that wiggle room of count if they believe that the electors are somehow, uh, you know, challenged. Um, and that was their analysis. So I think that Trump had a lot of people around him that were saying these things. Um, and whether or not, uh, you know, it was true, he was going to wait until the very end and hope that Mike Pence was going to do it. I think Mike Pence did the right thing. So I think that he did not have any sort of legal uh, room to stand on to, to push that back um, because these were certified. They were duly certified by the states. Um, and so from that perspective, um, he would not have been able to, to do anything. So I think that Trump, uh, again, this painting of him as uh, a tyrant who was going to stay in office uh, through force was never true. That was never his intention. But he certainly was going to fight up until the end. Um, and he did have a lot of people in Congress, more than 100 members in the House, who supported to challenge this. So I think that, uh, you know, and again, that process is in the Constitution. It's not illegal. It's not traitorous. It's not seditious. It's in the Constitution that you could challenge these electors. So that is perfectly above board. And I think that there's been a lot of rhetoric and, again, a lot of confusion People who assaulted the Capitol on January 6th, those people were traitors and they were rejecting this legal process. And so I think, you know, to, to separate those is very important. Um, but I think that uh, at the end of the day, Trump left. Um, he left peacefully. He transferred power and the republic still lives. Well, again, the people on January 6th were egged on by Trump, one of the great, you know, uh, uh, ruses as people say they make that one quote about how he said demonstrate peacefully but he also said we're not going to take back our country without strength and again it was outrageous things like calling up the secretary of state and asking him basically to change the vote so i guess my simple question to you is yes or no do you think donald trump was trying to overturn the election i think he had a lot of questions about what happened so, so is that a yes I think he was concerned no, it's not a yes. I, I, I think it's it's he had a lot of questions about the process, about whether it was so, legal. So is that a no? Those questions are legal. You can ask those questions. If I, I, well, I'm just asking I, you. I, either, I either, either he did or he didn't. You know, and I think a lot of people on the right don't want to commit to it because they feel it's going to, you know, hurt them in the in that ecosystem or the waters they swim in or whatever. And I think that he clearly wanted to overturn the election. And uh, he and, and the reason that he didn't do a lot of things was because people all around him threatened to quit. You know, that when when uh, Jeffrey Clark, who was attack, uh, acting attorney general, was going to send out letters to states saying that there were questions about uh, the vote and to hold off on certifying. Trump was all for it, but it was only when the entire Justice Department threatened to quit that he backed off. So. You know, I don't know if you're I think it's a pretty clear yes or no answer, but it doesn't seem like you want to give a yes or no. Well, I think from his perspective, it wasn't about overturning. It was about rectifying. So that's the nomenclature debate that he would say. And well, recti the but rectifying ability to ask be... questions. OK, I think rectifying. No, but his, from his perspective, no. I think the evidence is clear. But he would say, well, and he still wants to, he still wants to, I mean, he still would, he still would do it. But anyway, well, that one, I guess we'll just have to uh, agree to uh, disagree. But um, anyway, well, another great session on Practically Political. It's so great to have you with us. And we will see you next time. Have a great week. Yeah.